Welcome to the latest edition of PEI Media Spotlight Podcast. I'm Benjamin Ali, News Editor at Agri-Investor. In today's discussion on the agriculture asset class, we'll be covering the labour issues exposed by the coronavirus, whether the pandemic really is a seismic event for the industry, and why recovery could be sharp and long-lived. I'm joined by Fiera Comox partner for agriculture, Matthew Corbett, and Benjamin Subay, principal at the Boston Consulting Group. The global lockdown that has come to define our response to the pandemic has had a mixed impact on agriculture. Subsectors such as seafood and dairy lost huge portions of their customer base overnight and have been severely impacted due to the shutdown of schools, restaurants and hospitality venues. Meanwhile, according to USDA data, staple commodities have suffered only marginal declines, with prices for soybeans, for example, falling from $8.84 in January to $8.28 in May, while wheat prices fell from $4.87 to $4.76 over the same January to May period. Fiera Comox's Matthew Corbett began by describing why he believes COVID-19's impact on commodity prices will be short-lived. Supply-driven factors continue to be the primary driver for commodity prices in most commodity markets. For instance, a commodity to which we're exposed is uh, cherries. This is a commodity where supply-driven factors will be the largest driver in commodity prices for that commodity for this season. We've seen some bad weather in, in Washington, which is going to have a material impact on the supply of that commodity for this year, and it's having a positive impact on prices. So COVID has had a, a minor demand impact on that commodity, but overall the biggest driver will continue to be supply-driven factors. We've also seen in recent years uh, trade wars that frankly have had a much larger impact on most commodity markets than COVID. So COVID is something that we're in the middle of, so it captures a lot of focus. Uh, I can only echo what Matthew said. So we also see a relatively steep and steady rebound in agriculture, both demand and in terms of commodity prices already manifesting in most of the uh, of the markets there is some exceptions especially uh, seasonal fruits which are still very much depending on on manual labor limited access to labor or more specifically migrant labor is another issue that's been experienced across the US and Europe there were widespread fears at the start of the lockdown in march of fruits and vegetables rotting before they could be picked which led to many countries trying to rally people who had been furloughed or were out of work to fill gaps in the agri workforce in some European countries, such as Germany and the UK, migrant workers were actually flown in from Eastern European countries. Clear data on how much of the spring harvest was lost as a result of labour shortages is not yet available. More recently, as segments of the food production workforce have been allowed to return to their jobs at meat processing facilities, for example, concentrated and explosive outbreaks of coronavirus at plants across the world have exposed another labour-related shortcoming of the industry which Benjamin Subay believes will result in the introduction of more technology. It is very difficult to allow sufficient space at the processing lines between the different workers. So the only answer will be a higher level of automation to have less workers in that environment and thereby have more distance and safety distance for any virus breakouts. I think that's one aspect. The other aspect, and that's an issue that has been raised in the context of the discussion, is the ethics of these 
migrant workers, how they are treated, uh, how they are accommodated, uh, how the work safety conditions are, which is gaining a lot of momentum in especially Germany, as I said, but I think in the whole of Europe. Um, so that also from that angle, a higher degree of automation and less dependency on, on migrant labor will be the key answer of the meat processing industry. We're amongst those producers that's probably ahead of the curve in terms of mechanization. Our output per unit of manual labor input is already very high. We have a relatively small labor workforce uh, relative to the output of our businesses. So the impact on our business has actually been relatively small. I would echo Benjamin's comments that uh, this crisis will push all producers, including investor-led producers to be pushing towards automation and mechanization to a greater degree than they would have prior to the crisis. It's also going to have a cost impact as well. Uh, what we're going to see in some commodities is the commodity simply won't be harvested and that will lead to supply issues that should drive up commodity prices in some cases. As these food-related issues have played out, the threats posed to national food security have not gone unaddressed. At the end of March, Kazakhstan, a major exporter of flour to neighbouring countries, imposed an export ban on flour that lasted a little over two weeks. Roughly around the same time, Vietnam, a key exporter of rice, also temporarily stopped rice exports, while Russia took the same action with its export of grains. While some of these policies were short-lived and are no longer in place, some have evolved to become tighter seasonal export quotas. For countries heavily reliant on imports, the experience will have heightened already existing anxiety around the need to improve self-sufficiency, as Matthew Corbett explains. I don't think that we're going to see a long-term trend of governments restricting exports. We all know that that, over the long term, only serves to diminish domestic production, typically, and or it becomes a huge burden on the public coffers to subsidize domestic production. So I think what we'll see is, is governments incentivizing smart, sustainable production of staple commodities. And that will ensure a strong baseline of domestic supply. We may also see governments reverting back to a policy that is largely going gone away in the last few decades, which is stockpiling of staple products to insulate against these short-term supply chain shocks. What we see is that governments not only tend to stockpile, but also try to shorten the supply chain by increased domestic production. We see this in particular in a lot of countries in the Middle East where there's now a huge push to use controlled environment agriculture technologies like uh, sophisticated greenhouses, vertical farming facilities to become more uh, independent in terms of production of vegetables, uh, leafy greens, tomatoes, uh, cucumbers, etc. We also see in Europe with the farm to fork strategy an increasing push for local and sustainable production in an attempt to, to shorten the supply chain. I think it's important to note that most food importing nations are also seeing rising demand in many commodities. So the increased domestic supply is, is needed not simply to replace imported product, it's simply needed to keep up with demand increases in these markets. So what do these COVID-19 related impacts mean for agriculture's long-term prospects as an investment class? And what is the impact on the industry's ability to feed a growing global population? For a start, increased yields across various staple crops is actually one of the reasons why commodity prices have been in decline since roughly 2014, when soybean prices were around 40% higher than they are today, 
and corn prices were almost 50% higher. One of the things this led to is a flattening of the annual farm expenditure figures in the US, which have struggled to rise, hindering innovation and efficiency gains over the last six years. Along with the challenging environment created by the US-China trade war, COVID-19 looks unlikely to push agriculture further into any kind of steep decline, as Benjamin Subay explains. COVID-19 has sort of given the last step of that development of the industry into the trough. Yeah, So going forward, uh, I think, especially taking a perspective from the farmer point of view, a lot of uncertainty has now been removed from the markets and farmers tend to look forward more uh, positively again. And when we, for instance, look at the planted acreage, when we, for instance, look at uh, tractor registration numbers and and, and tractor sales numbers, we do not see a continuation of the decline here. It's rather that the industry has stabilized in, in the trough and is now getting out of it. I believe that COVID uh, in this particular situation will not uh, impact the rebound as much. Yeah? Um, what would have a much worse impact if trade war continues or even worsens? Yeah, I, I would agree with Benjamin that COVID is the crisis that we're in the middle of, but in fact, the trade wars, and I would say in, in many sectors in the U.S., particularly inflated asset values in the middle part of the last decade, are the greater uh, factors uh, contributing towards that flat performance uh, so far this year. And the long-term fundamentals are still very strong. Obviously, a lot of the focus is on China, but trade relationships with India Mexico, even Canada have been strained for the last few years. So COVID is the current crisis, but in fact, these longer term fundamentals that uh, drove the market into the trough that it's currently in, these are the biggest drivers, not COVID. I would echo Benjamin's comments that we're in the trough. We're likely to be going into a more positive period heading into 2021, 2022. Taken in tandem with some of the other long term drivers of profitability in ag, such as the undiminished consumer preference for organic products that produce higher returns, and the increasing affordability and sophistication of ag tech solutions, both Matthew and Benjamin firmly believe the short to medium term looks very positive for ag. From a private equity perspective, we see also nice opportunities arising based on the trend, the, the technological development towards more mechanization and automation will go on, that there is producers of uh, egg equipment and machinery, uh, especially implements, but also in the space uh, for indoor farming, for irrigation systems and so on, that could really benefit from uh, private equity cash injections, so to say, in order to uh, globalize the business, in order to get into the next step of digital transformation, developing fully-fledged automated solutions and so on, which has not been the case in the past. A lot of these producers are family-owned and had no appetite for professional investors in the past, but with the development needs ahead, I think there will be also sort of a mindset shift so that the asset class from a private equity perspective will become more attractive than it was in the past. I would say that for owners of high quality farming assets, the prospects are quite bright, particularly relative to other asset classes. I think we're going to see a steady, stable performance coming out of, again, high quality farmland assets. If I was an investor exposed to more marginal farming country or country that was uh, limited market optionality, 
uh, I would be more concerned. But for any investor or producer that is, is the owner of a higher quality, higher margin farmland asset, I think the prospects for the next 12 to 18 months are brighter, frankly, than the last 12 to 18 months. One point that we didn't really touch on a lot is the longer term trend of higher quality products. Again, we're in the middle of a crisis that has created some issues for most uh, or for some uh, agricultural commodities that are typically served in restaurants. But the long term trend here in agriculture is towards higher value products, more traceability. These things are beneficial to landowners, to farmland owners. They will not be derailed by the current crisis. Consumption of these higher value products will continue to increase over time, not just in the developing world, but the developed world as well. And the crisis is merely a road bump on that path, we believe. And that's all we have time for today. If you want to listen to more episodes of Spotlight, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to Benjamin and Matthew. For Agri-Investor, I'm Benjamin Ali. Thanks for listening.